In the series out of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we're continuing this series that we're calling God's Love Letter. Um, this is week number four, and we're going to be here until Easter comes, and I couldn't be any more excited ab about that. I've been sharing with you over the past few weeks that uh, the book of Ephesians is often referred to by a lot of scholars as God's love letter to the church. But I, I, just, I, I believe it, as you read it, as we go through it, as we dig into it, it's been my prayer, and, and I believe you'll see it if you'll really focus in on what it's saying here, that, you know, it's, it's God's love letter to me. You know, it's God's love letter to you. It's, it's, it's God's way of expressing through these writings of the Apostle Paul uh, exactly what this love looks like, why it was necessary, what it was for. Uh, and, and so uh, I, I've been praying that, that as we go through this, that you would experience this as God's love for you. God's love letter to you, uh, and, and you would know that. If you were here in week number one, God showed us uh, in his love letter that he loved you so much that he chose you. That's powerful. He chose you. He knew you. He knew everything about you, your flaws, how you would mess up, where you would mess up, when you would mess up, and he chose you. And you probably wouldn't even have chose you. But he did, and he chose you before the beginning of time. And the, the God who created everything into existence created you because he wanted you to be his child. That's how awesome you are. And then we saw in, in week number two that not only does he want you to hear that and know that and have this knowledge of how much he loves you. But Paul kind of broke into his the, the, theology discussion here and began to pray because Paul said, I know this is hard to understand and I know this is hard to comprehend. And so Paul just stopped right where he was and began to pray for the church. He began to pray for you and he began to pray for me that not only would we know it, but that the eyes of our heart would be opened up and we would see it in our hearts and we would feel it in our hearts and we would experience it in our hearts because Paul knew if it didn't ever get from our head to our heart, then it, it wasn't working. And it was so important that we experience that uh, in our heart, just knowing that Jesus loves you and being told that Jesus loves you does not make you a Christian. Just because you know it, it has to be something that is felt, that is experienced. And we're going to talk about just how powerful that experience is uh, a little bit later this morning. Last week, uh, we saw Paul begin to elaborate on this good news. We talk about the gospel a lot uh, in the church. And, and, and basically what the gospel is, is it's the good news. All right, it's the good news of Jesus Christ. Anybody, anytime you hear anybody say or, or, or you hear or read gospel, that literally means good news. And, and so he begins to elaborate uh, on why this good news is so important to you and to me. And he introduced us for, to a very powerful word here in chapter 2 when he described that followers of Jesus have been saved. And we see that word save that we often use in the church. And last week, we really dug into what that means. And we understood exactly how powerful it was that we would be saved. We learned that there's not a better word to describe 
exactly what it is that, that Jesus did uh, for us when we chose to, to follow him. We were saved. And it was graphic. Paul, Paul didn't, he didn't pull any punches. And it was, it was difficult to hear. But God knew how important it was that we fully understand exactly what it was that we were saved from. It's important that we understand what it was that we were saved from. This week, we're going to continue on uh, through this love letter. And, and, and I alluded to last week's message, one of the things we're going to talk about that has really just kind of got me fired up uh, about this. Uh, something that you may have never noticed before, but I want to pick back up where we were last week at uh, verse number six. The, the, actually, we're going, to, we're going to pick it up in verse number five. Uh, that was the last verse that we looked at last week. But uh, Apostle Paul writes this, Ephesians 2, beginning at verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. That's what we were saved from, folks. We were dead, right? And that's what Paul's been telling us. Not only were you dead, but you were decaying. <laughs> you, were, you were a nasty, stinky dead, right? And even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin... He made us alive together with Christ. And I think we so often skip over what Paul tells us next, or maybe we don't fully understand it. By grace, you have been saved. And then look at what happens. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Well, what does that mean? Well, I always think the Bible means exactly what it says. Now, we've talked about this last week a little bit, but don't miss the fact here that the language that is being used here is so important. All throughout Scripture, you need to be paying attention to the tense that you're reading in. Is it talking about something that happened in the past? Is it talking about something that's occurring now? Is there, or is it talking about something that's going to happen in the future? What is this? This is past tense, which means what? It's already happened. Okay, are you with me? I mean, is that what it says? That's what, what, I, what I take from it here is that this is past tense. This doesn't say that he will seat us with him. It says he has. He has seated us with him in heavenly places. It's already happened. This is huge to me. All right? This is so good. Listen, in God's eyes, as his children, as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, in God's eyes, I am already seated with Jesus. I'm already seated with Jesus in the place of honor around God's throne. Do you get that? You see what Paul's saying here? You're already there. Once you've been saved, you have been seated with Jesus at the right hand of the Father. That's what he's saying here. I, if anybody sees anything differently, I'll give you your time this afternoon. But, you know, here's what I take from that. I could not be in a higher place in heaven right now if I'm a child of the king. I couldn't be in a higher place. I couldn't even be any closer to God than I am right now. Not even if I gave a billion dollars to the Children's Worship Center building fund. Right? Not even if I prayed for eight hours every day. Not even if I went for a whole decade without, even, uh, without ever sinning. He's literally putting me in Jesus' seat when I am saved. 
That's where I'm at. Do, do you know what kind of confidence that should give you? That you're sitting at the right hand of the Father? Huh? In Jesus' seat? In this place of honor? This is incredible. Here's why you can have confidence in being a follower of Jesus. You can have confidence that he is with you. You are there. You are, you're in Jesus' seat. That should give you a tremendous amount of confidence, right? That heaven is your reward. Think about it. We don't earn heaven because of anything we've done. Luckily for me, we, we don't earn it. We would never, we could never in our lives act righteous enough to get to heaven. We could never be righteous enough to, to even be allowed there. But, but God, we saw that last week, but God changes everything, right? But God sent Jesus, who think about it now, Jesus was righteous enough to be in heaven. That's where he came from, all right? Man, this is so good. He, he, he was righteous enough that he paid your sin debt, okay? He paid it in, in full, he paid it in, in its entirety. You traded places with Jesus is what took place. And because of that, you have access of, to heaven. Not because of anything you have done. Not because of anything that's on your account. But it's because of his account. <laughs> huh? It's because of his account, not your own. And now because of that, think what we can do. We can approach God in prayer. Because we're there. We're sitting at his right hand so we can approach him. How awesome it is to know that we can approach God in, in prayer. And, and, you know, I know based on this, I'm not questioning Paul. You can question him if you want to. But, but based on this, I know that God hears me as if I were Jesus. Huh? I think that's what he's saying. I believe that's why we pray in Jesus' name. You know, I don't believe that we say in Jesus' name at the end of our prayers just to give God a heads up that we're about done. <laughs> okay, I'm wrapping this up. So in Jesus' name, just so you know, we're closing out here, God. You know, that, that, that's not why we do that. You know, it's because we are praying. We're praying from his seat. Do you get that? We're praying from the seat of Jesus based on Jesus' record, not mine and not yours. And the gospel is that God doesn't hear my prayers based on how I've lived. God hears my prayers based on how Jesus lived <laughs> and what Jesus did. Every good thing that we receive is from God. Everything that we receive that is good is because of what Jesus has saved us from and what he has done for us. That's what he's saying here as we go on in verse 7. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that, this is why he does it, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. How do you measure that? You can't. It's immeasurable, huh? So that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward who? Y'all should be more excited about having immeasurable riches. I'm just saying, huh? If you had a billion dollars, you'd be pretty excited about that. 
He did this. He seated us with him so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You can't measure the riches of his grace is what he's saying. It can't be calculated. We can't even begin to fully comprehend it because it's immeasurable. What he's done, what he's doing, and Paul says, and what he's going to do in the, in the coming ages. And so in this letter to you, in God's love letter to you and to the church, we get this vivid and beautiful description of what it is that we've been saved from. And then Paul says, this, this is just solely an act of grace. It's an act of grace. And now in these next few verses, we're going to see Paul kind of elaborate and summarize uh, the gospel, this good news that, that we've been saved. And he's going to give us four, I believe, of, of four crucial things that we need to understand about being saved and about salvation. The first one is what scholars say is at the heart of salvation, okay? At the core or the basis of salvation is grace, all right? This is kind of the platform, if you will. That this is at the heart of what salvation is. Paul says, by grace, you have been saved. By grace, you have salvation. Again, don't miss this. This is past tense. You have been saved. All right? You don't do it yourself. It's not a process that you go through to get there. Right? This has been taken care of. This has been done. God did it to you, and God did it for you and, and and that it was done by grace means this it was based on nothing good about you all right that's what grace means you didn't deserve it it was not based on one good thing that you have done it was strictly and solely a gift from God is what it was it wasn't some reward for your good behavior it wasn't because you were less bad than your neighbor right? It wasn't because you were less bad than your brother or sister, or, or it wasn't even because you had a good heart, because we saw in week one that none of us had a good heart, right? We were all dead. He said, you were dead in your trespasses and your sin. There was no good in us, right? So it had nothing to do with how good your heart was, because your heart is evil. It doesn't even matter if he looked down and, and go, you know, I did a really great job creating that one right there. That one's got more potential than this one over here. So I'm going to give him some grace, right? That's not how it works. Verse 8 and 9 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. You had absolutely nothing to do with it. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works. We're going to talk about works here in just a minute. And, and the reason that... The, that it has nothing to do with what you can do because if you had anything to do with it, you would brag about it. <laughs> we would. Look at us. Look at how awesome we are. We finally checked all the boxes and now we're on our road to heaven, right? Had nothing to do with how many boxes you could check or how good you could be or what you could do. It wasn't anything that we even could have done. It's not even a reward for you showing faith. Do, do you see the word this here? In verse number eight there, on that second line, it says, uh, uh, by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. Well, what does this, well, what does that point to here? All right, well, scholars say that in their Greek, the original language that the word that's translated this in our English is placed in this sentence so that it applies to both faith and salvation. All right, so that's what this points to is, is faith and salvation. In other words, both the salvation 
and the faith to receive it are gifts from God. See, still, it leaves you out. You had nothing to do with it. It, it came from him. We learned in chapter 1 that salvation is a work of God from where? From start to finish. Amen. It's all him. None of it you. It's all a work that he does from start to finish. God restores you to your senses. God draws you to himself. And don't miss this. He gave you the ability to believe. He gave you the ability to have faith. And he came to us when, when we were dead. He came to us when we were decaying. And he invited us some way, somehow, to, to allow him to save us, right? We have this invitation that, that we can be, be saved. And you may have heard it in the past like this. I've heard preachers explain it, and I, I'm not saying it's totally wrong, but I want to share something with you that I read this week. Uh, but I've heard people describe salvation kind of like this, that uh, we were out there in a sea of our sin drowning. You ever heard that before? That we were out in a sea of sin, and, and we were drowning, and Jesus came to us in a lifeboat or, or, or whatever, and he throws us a life preserver and he saves us, you know, from drowning in, in our sin. Well, I, I was reading, I'd, I'd heard that a lot of times. I, I read this uh, quote from a preacher named David uh, Nasser this week, and I love what he said. He said, you know, that story sounds really good, but it's just not the gospel. The gospel is that you weren't just drowning in a sea of your sin, you were dead floating face down in a sea of your sin. And Jesus came and pulled your lifeless body into the boat and breathed eternal life into your lungs. Wow. You were dead. He breathed eternal life into your lungs. <laughs> That's exactly what Jesus did for you when he saved you. When you accepted him, it, it was grace. And that is at the very core and the heart of our salvation. The second thing that Paul says that we need to understand about salvation is this, is that the instrument of salvation is faith. Right? He goes on to say in verse 8, Paul says, by grace we are saved through faith. And this is, this is very important because I believe that a lot of Christians are confused about this. That, th that this faith is something that we can do, right? F faith, is, it, faith is not a feeling. Faith is not simply some religious feeling or, or, or becoming more Christian or, or going through a process to where we, we, we become better. You know, it, it, it's not that. It's not even a, a, faith is not even a rock-solid confidence that we have in Jesus with no doubt. Faith is this. Faith is laying our hand on Jesus, Faith is laying our hand on him. It's the belief that he has done it all. He has done exactly what he said he would do. He has done it. He has paid the price. He has wiped away my sin debt, and I'm laying my hand on that. That is my hope. That is my help. And that is what faith is. We're resting our faith. We're resting our hope on Jesus Christ. Now, I want to give you a little better picture of this. I think might help you understand it a little better. In the Old Testament, we see... This was before Jesus, before the price has been paid for all the rest of eternity, right? Before then, they had to sacrifice uh, uh, an animal 
to be forgiven of their sins. For their sins to be atoned for, there had to be a sacrifice made, which means there had to be blood that was shed and something had to die. Is exactly what it meant. Now, in the Old Testament, we would see this, that when someone brought, uh, often it was a lamb, when they would bring a lamb to the priest, they would bring that as a sacrifice for their sins to be forgiven. And the way that works uh, is they would basically take the lamb, hand it to the priest, the priest would lay it on the altar. He would lay it on the altar, this lamb, this sacrifice that they would bring. The person that brought it, that was there for the atonement and forgiveness of their sins, would then lay their hand on the head of that lamb. And they would begin to confess their sins. And as they confessed their sins, their sins were being transferred from them to the sacrifice that was about to be made, this lamb. And as they're confessing their sin to this lamb, the priest would take a knife and he would slit the throat of the lamb and the lamb would bleed out and die there on the altar. And it was a mess. It was a huge mess that they would have there. But that's how it worked. That's how they did it. In order to be forgiven, you had to transfer your sins from yourself to the sacrifice and the sacrifice would bleed out and die for your sins. When you are saved, I want you to think about this. Their, head, their hand on that lamb's head symbolized their sinfulness being transferred into the innocent lamb. When you are saved, when you became a Christian, you reach out. Do you see it? Do you see it? You reach out to the lamb of God when you become a Christian. You lay your hand on him. You lay your hand on the Lamb of God and say, you know what, I believe that you came for me. I believe that you died for me. I believe that there is absolutely nothing that I can do to have my sins forgiven. There's nothing that I can do to save myself. And so I'm transferring my guilt onto you. I'm transferring my guilt onto the Lamb. I'm transferring my guilt onto God's Son, Jesus Christ. Do you see the picture of this? This is so powerful. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is not some religious feeling that we have. It's not that we are becoming more Christian. Faith is this. It's the belief that Jesus Christ has accomplished it all. He has done it all, and you are resting your hand and your hope on him. That's faith. That's faith. Faith is choosing to base the hopes of your soul, the hopes of your eternity on the Lamb, on Jesus. God has already, past tense, completed the purchase. The deal's already been done. The sacrifice has already been made. The blood has been shed. The death has taken place. He's already done it to purchase your salvation. And when you claim that as your own, it becomes yours. It becomes your gift. And, and by grace, you are saved through faith. That's good. Are y'all getting it? That's good. Third thing that we see that is important, we learn about salvation. Frank and I talked about this last Sunday after my sermon because not only is it important that we understand what we've been saved from, but it's so very important to know what you've been saved for. The result of salvation is good works. Paul says, for we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works. You're not saved by good works. Okay? But if you're saved, you will do good works. I I need to say that again. This is important. You are not saved by your good works, but if you are saved, you will do good works. That's because when God saves you, think about what he does. He unites you to Christ, and he begins to infuse his life into yours. He begins to infuse his righteousness into you. He begins to infuse his power into you. He begins to infuse his holiness uh, into you. Listen, there is no way, there is no way that you can be hit with that kind of force (laughs) and that kind of power to have that being infused into you and that kind of power working in and through you. You cannot be hit with that and not be changed. You just can't. So if you have claimed at some point in time in your life that you are a Christian and you were not changed, you hadn't experienced that. And I'm not here to make anybody question their salvation, but I think there are a lot of people walking around today that think they're saved that ain't never experienced it. I'm not apologizing for saying that. I think it's the truth. Because once you've been hit with that kind of force, you will be changed. Let me give you a little better example. We sing this on cartoons when we were kids. Let's say that you're walking down the sidewalk tomorrow going to work. And a piano just falls out of the sky and flattens you. I argue that you would be changed. The force and the power of that would change you. And I'm going to say that you would never be the same again. God's love. His grace and His forgiveness. Can I just ask you this morning, have you experienced that? (laughs) Have you been hit with the force and the power of His salvation that Paul's talking about here today? How can people say that they've been hit with that kind of force and that kind of power, but yet never change? How, How can... How can people say that they're Christian and they've been infused with this kind of force and this kind of of power, but yet they don't worship God or even serve Him the other six days of the week? How can you say you love God and and you're a Christian while you continue to live in sin every single day, the same sin that put Him on the cross? This past week, our... our, uh, district had a minister's and mate's retreat. And um, Lynette and I had the opportunity to go and spend a few days with some other ministers on our district. Our newest general superintendent was there and spent some time with us. And I'm a fan, all right? Uh, Her name's Carla, Dr. Carla Sundberg. She used to be the president of Nazarene Theological Seminary. And, uh, you know, when you hear that president of the seminary, you know, you just kind of think, 
you know, better than everybody else. She's just like, eh, whatever, you know. You, so, so you've got a wall full of degrees, and I've got a wall full of mounts. Uh, so, <laughs> whatever. You know, kind of go into it with that. She speaks several different languages, and, and uh, but, man, we got to know her, and she's just like us, y'all. She fit right in in Greenbrier. She's just common. Uh, they call her doctor, but I called her Carla uh, because that's her name. And, um, but anyway, she, she, we were talking about this a little bit. She, she made this statement. She said, there is no such thing as cheap Christianity. Cheap Christianity isn't Christianity at all. And, and she went on to elaborate, and she, elaborate on it. And she said, think about it. A half-finished tower looks ridiculous, right? A half-finished building that is never completed it looks ridiculous. And she said, and so does a sort of Christian, <laughs> right? It looks ridiculous. But listen, yes, you are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. It's always accompanied by good works. You see that? You're not saved by your good works, but if you're saved... You'll be doing them. There'll be fruit. They will know you. And they'll think you're weird. <laughs> All right, Ray? I'm not calling Ray weird. But Ray, Ray's a little different. And I would say this morning that if you're not doing good works and you've not realized the force and the power of salvation in your life, Close with this. Fourth, final thing this morning is this. The confidence of salvation is that what God started, he's going to finish. Paul says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand <laughs> that we should walk in them. In verse 10. This takes us back to chapter 1. We talked about this at the beginning. Paul brought up this whole topic by introducing us to a word called predestination that has caused so much debate in the church. It's really not that confusing. We look at it. Prepared beforehand simply means to be predestined. Here's the deal. God has already pre-planned these good works for you. That's what that means. They've already been planned out. He's already created the opportunity for them to happen in your life. They've been pre-planned. He's already created the opportunities. He's already pre-supplied the power <laughs> source that you need to do those good works. And what he has started, he will finish. Scholars tell us that the Greek word that's used here is translated God prepared beforehand. The language that used there, used here in this passage of Scripture is only used in one other place in the Bible. And I think it's interesting. But it's in Genesis chapter 1 when we see the creation story at the beginning of the Bible. And, and I want you to think about it. God spoke nothing into something. There was nothing. And he spoke that into something. He, he didn't start with anything. He didn't start creating. You know, we start building back here in the back. And we have to bring in, you know, sand and gravel and dirt and concrete and all these things. God started with nothing because he didn't need anything. 
He didn't start creating and building with materials that already existed. He started with nothing and he created everything. He spoke light into absolute darkness that had never existed. Listen, when God saved you, I want you to think about it like that. He took a righteousness. He took a light that never existed in you and he spoke it into being. The same powers that spoke the universe into existence wants to speak righteousness into your existence. The, the, the darkness, I, I saw this this week, I love this quote, it says, the darkness in your soul is no more able to resist the transforming power of God than the night is able to resist the sunrise. Which means this for you, all you have to do is let him do it. That's all you have to do is let him do it. Yield yourself to Jesus and let him do this work in your life. That's the part where we fit in. That's the only part is that we surrender, right? We surrender to him. And I would argue that Christianity really isn't about you doing anything for God. It's not about you doing one thing for God. Christianity is about letting God do his work through you. See the difference? If you let God do what he wants to do through you, that won't be what you're doing. It's not your work, it's his work that he's doing in and through you. Paul says you're dead. And God has visited your grave where you were dead and decaying. And he says... I can help you. Let me save you. I can breathe life-filling, eternal breath into your body. But it's your choice, see? It's your choice. You, you have to be the one that says, okay. You have to be the one that, that says, uh, yes. And, and let me tell you something. This is so good. When you say yes to him, did you notice what happened? He will seat you in the heavenly places with Jesus. Get you some of that. <laughs> huh? And not only that, but he'll start a process in you that can't be stopped. And he'll finish it. Don't that just make you want to go, Phew. He's going to do all the work. He's already done all the work. And what he has started, he's going to finish. I'm going to just sit down a minute and rest. <laughs> because I've been trying to do it way too long, way too much. When it's all about just allowing him to do what he wants to do. He had it pre-planned. He's got a plan. My plan's dumb. His plan's perfect. And that's the plan that he wants to complete in us and, and, and through us. Christianity is not about becoming good enough or righteous enough to be accepted by him. Christianity is about accepting Christ's righteousness as our own. So here's the question, and you knew I was going to get to it today. Have you ever received that for yourself personally? Have you ever received that for yourself because I'm going to just tell you, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning?
Here in a minute, I'm going to have Hayden sing a song that we sang earlier as we praised, uh, had praise and worship together. But I believe God's speaking to someone here today about being saved. And I'd be remiss not to give you the opportunity to do that today. And I believe that for you to accept life and forgiveness and salvation today, you know that there's something that has to take place. And today, I'm going to challenge you to do it at this altar. Might be awkward, might be uncomfortable, but what Jesus went through on the cross was a whole lot more uncomfortable than you standing up and walking down that aisle and coming to this altar. For what this altar represents to us today, we've been reminded of what it means to us. And so, so I believe someone here today needs to make their way to the altar and reach out their hand and lay it on the head of the lamb and receive that forgiveness and that gift of salvation for yourself. If that's you, I invite you to come right now or come during the song. Maybe, maybe there's someone here today that prayed a prayer a long time ago. Maybe you had an emotional experience and you thought that was a salvation uh, experience, but the force of that and the power of that never changed you. It will. The force and the power of grace and forgiveness in your life will change you and you will never be the same. And so maybe there's someone here today that just needs to come to the altar and nail that down and lay their head on the spotless lamb of Jesus and allow him to do that work in your life. Lay your hand on the lamb that was slain for your sins and accept and receive the power of grace in your life. While Hayden sings, you come if you need to come. I'm not gonna beg you. Hayden's gonna sing this song and then we're gonna close. Listen to the words of the song. Pay attention to what it's saying as well. But if you need to come, today's your opportunity to receive that in your life. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with blood of Jesus Christ Leave behind your regrets and mistakes Come today there's no reason to wait Jesus is calling sorrows and trade them for joy from the ashes a new life is born Jesus is calling oh come to 
Christ is risen. 